Welcome to the Abyssinian syllabary, where we spell out Ethiopia in 33 characters. I'm Eve-Marie Stranger, your host and the compiler of these Abyssinian lives. Nota bene. While any resemblance to actual countries, past or present, and to historical figures is not purely coincidental, this is a work of fiction. For a primer on these Ethiopian characters, newcomers may start with the prologue by Manuel de Goes. To order the book or a poster of the Abyssinian syllabary, visit Ethiopia.com. That's U-T-H-I-O-P-I-A dot com. Zereyakob and Sambatawi were feasting on bean sauce and injera. The world resembles a cylinder of sheepskin, a volume carefully shelved away by a celestial hand, opined one of the monks of the monastery of Debrebizen as he slurped his beans. The world is shaped such as the holy tabernacle, announced the second Cenobite, who had taken his robes in the monastery of St. Mary of Zion of Aksum. Would you pass the salt? politely inquired Zereyakob. The apocrypha. Of Zereyakob. Le Cosmas Indicuplustus. Cosmas, who went to India, was born in a fishing village built at the foot of limestone cliffs. He spent his first years reconnoitring this pile of stone and espying the Church of the Cross, a cult that used these vaults for their sacraments. The basalt dwellings of the village abutted these calcious crags, so that the whole was most harmonious. The end of this bed of stone dipped its toes in the Sea of Marmara, a brackish lake with its becalmed waters, a puddle rather than a true sea, such as the Pont Uxin. Ah, that one, the fishermen would say, as they returned with boats packed to the taffrail with sparkling fish, of which a bitter paste was made to spread on rye bread. They were in awe of the squalls they weathered in this Pont Uxin, so that they called it Black. Cosmas's port was a landing post for keels sailing the Mediterranean Sea. Lo, what tempests! From this sea, the fishermen hauled tuna and bream and fetched loads of wool and iron ore. This sea itself, according to the Cretan deckhands, was itself nothing more than a pond when compared to the ocean that lay beyond the pillars. There began an expanse that only found its limit at the confines of the world. At this end point, the waters gushed off the edge in a cataract, carrying off into the void whole schools of fish, whales, as well as the foolhardy, such as the sailors known as Basco, which congregate hereabouts to prey on the rich fishing banks. These shoots announced themselves by the means of reefs that held back the waters, such as the teeth of a man his tongue, the Cretan boys added. Without these reefs, all of the waters would hurl themselves from the world's mouth, much like the vomit of men at the Bacchanals. Cosmas was all ears for these stories, which he heard down on the wharfs before returning at night to his reddish abode. 
he would slip into waterbone reveries in which whales plunged into the ether at ocean's end. One day, he must have been twelve years of age, Cosmas drifted off while listening to the tales of sailors who wore turbans of mousseline as light as spume. When he awoke, with the imprint of the sail ropes against which he had dozed impressed on his cheek, Cosmas saw the white cliff line fading on the horizon. He was only to see it again forty years later, upon his return to these parts, when the bed of stone was to transform itself to his utmost contentment into his tomb. But Cosmas, who had dreamt much of cataracts, and who had perhaps fallen asleep purposely, has not yet reached that departure. He now sailed the first sea from east to west. His craft made land near the pillars themselves. The seafarers of this port made light of their annual journeys beyond the pillars, in a sea they called Hyperion. They returned with salted cod and copper cords and bragged that they bartered these goods for mediocre olive oil in Hyperborean Isles where lived many giants. Cosmas was not to travel those immensities. It is so. Returning to the Levant, he became a Turguman. His shipmasters hauled cargo by way of land from Alexandria to the channel known as Eritrean, which means red. There lived round this sea men who lived off depredations and raw fish. Cosmas, the port child, spoke words that their ears could fatten. Yet having undertaken the thirteen-day footslog over this isthmus many a time, Cosmas grew weary. He was a man of waters, not of these parched barrens. So he now took up the life of a pilot in the Eritrean waters. Here he felt at ease, both in Berenice, where he spoke the tongue of the Yemeni and partook of preserved dates, and in the Adulis of the Aksumites, in which he consumed raw sea creatures, as is the custom of that land, and conversed in Gurs. In this adulis, a banyan took him on board, and Cosmas now set his eyes on the ocean that the Semites call the mother of waters, and the Hindu our mother of all. In Hindustan, he understood what he had conjectured at the pillars of Hercules that his native town was a speck of dust in the eye of the world. This truth wounded and soothed Cosmas in equal parts. He bethought of his eavesdropping in the vestries of the Christian church on the shores of Marmara. The smell of Myron came back to his nose with the force of an unsealed barrel of anchovies, and Cosmas then knew that the world is made in the image of the Holy Covenant, such as man in the image of our Lord. Cosmas sailed the waters between Calicut and Sindh. In winter, he laded his watercraft with spices and peppers in the Hindu river of the north. At the time of the monsoons, he embarked cloth and glass flasks in the waters of Aden, Adulis, and Berenice. Cosmas conceived of a world that would be his anchor in these liquid quarters. He let forth a wake of ink that he fancied indelible. The itch to become immortal is a mortal trait after all. He built the world in the image of the tabernacle of his Christian faith, echoing the tales the Marmara sailing crews had once told him in the shade of the porous cliffs. 
the handful of literate men to whom Cosmas showed his writings teased him for a vision worthy of a fish-eating pagan. The earth, they repeated to him, was round. Had he not read Ptolemy? Cosmas had no truck with these objections. His contemporaries never understood that his parabolic geography was only his attempt to leave a mark on the world. Today, Cosmas's Christian topography is read for its annotations on the peoples and customs of the shores of the Red Sea, and he continues to be mocked for his confabulations.